Hello and welcome to the Saturday Night South Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Tom O'Gara. Marler, we are rounding out the SEC with today's It Just Meant More. We are getting to our 14th and final team. It's Vandy's day in the summer. Alabama. Oh, damn it. You're right. Okay. <laughs> I had somebody. I had somebody. So today, the, the game that we're doing is 2013 uh, Georgia at Vandy. And I had somebody that um, I can't remember who it was. I apologize. They, uh, they've been listening to this series and they love it. I'm blanking yeah. on their name who reached out on Twitter. But they're like, please, whatever you do, like not another Georgia loss. Because I had screenshotted a picture of yeah. this game and they kind of saw the writing on the wall. And I'm like thinking to myself, we haven't done a Georgia loss since the very first one that we ever did for this, and it just meant more, the 2012 SEC Championship. Are we sure? I thought we'd done one more. No. We did We did Georgia LSU, which was a win. Yeah. We did It Just Meant More for the 2008 Tornado Georgia basketball thing, but we haven't done another Georgia loss, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it's just because I always bring them up. That's probably that's it. probably what it is. <laughs> No, but that, that's that's fair, and I I hear that, dude. Like I I've said that since before we started doing this series. I've been saying it like for most of my life is when they show replays of old games, you see, like it, you, it's probably just being a fan. You you the bad ones stick out way more than the good ones. You know, Bama I mean? losses like, we're going to be focusing probably more on because what we like to do is we like to pick out a school's you know signature yeah. moment or something like that, and oftentimes. That happens when you take down a traditional power, like a Bama, yeah. like a Georgia. It just kind of depends like on a Bama, what we're like for. a Bama, like a Bama, like a Bama. And I, I don't care how that sounds because I, I was talking about this the other day to somebody because like like Allie's heard me bitch about this forever, and I'm like, because I think it was like two summers ago. It was like when I first started working for SDS full time, and I was like, oh cool, they're showing they're showing old games on SEC Network or ESPNU, and it's like you could scroll through and almost without hesitation, outside of like. I think this is before second 26 even. So it was like, you you just, it, you know, if you see Bama's playing in a game, it's most likely going to end poorly. And, yeah. and I remember somebody tried to call me out about this a few weeks ago on the Facebook group. And and I like, I was so excited they did because like, oh, you're just saying that you're bitching about it because you're a Bama fan. And I was like, I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up because I have the perfect example of why it's, I'm correct about this. The 2013 A&M Alabama game. Final was like 49 to 42 or 42 to 35 or something it like was, that. It was better than the 2012 game. We've talked That's about all, that. Yes. Yeah. And so it's like, and it was like this whole thing where Manziel, they had 628 yards of offense or 614 or something. Maybe it was 632. I don't know. Either way, um, it was 600 and an even number. I know that. And so then it was like, he had like a 99 yard touchdown to, to Mike Evans. And it was this whole game it was back and forth the whole time. But you never, ever see that game on replay. But you always see the 2012 game. So I, I think it sticks out more to fans, especially because it's, you know, it's not always the best ending. But this one, I mean, for Georgia fans, we're sorry, but it's especially bad. So we're gonna give we're gonna give everybody a little peel behind the onion as to why we picked this yeah. game because I'm sure there are people who are saying, well, man, I thought you guys were gonna do a Jordan Rogers game. That was the original plan. Right. But to be honest, you know, and you you brought this up, and it's it's a fair point. The best ones were like Vandy against Ole Miss, which when, I love that rivalry. Yeah, I mean, it's don't get me wrong. Nothing gets everybody fired up like Vandy Ole Miss, but well, I was being serious. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it was to clinch bowl eligibility, and don't yeah. I, I'm not saying it, it was an insignificant game, but if you can get one of these types of matchups where a team like Vanderbilt takes down a team like Georgia, those fans are are more likely going to remember a, a game like that. And then the so, and all fans too. Yeah, all fans are. All yeah. fans are. 
then the plan was we were going to do 2008, yeah, number 13 Auburn sucks. against number 19 Vandy. But for the first time, I think, since doing this, we ran into a, oh, crap, this game isn't on YouTube issue, which I'm glad I looked that up before I started doing all the research because yeah. that would have been Oh, awful. is that how you do it? Yeah, I do. Okay. <laughs> Peel behind the onion for Marler here. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, it's like, cause the way I do it is I turn the game on, and I just, like, I just naturally let my ADD kick in a little bit. And so I'm like, I'll be watching the game, and then I'll be like, I wonder what, what Ray Drew was ranked when coming out of high school. And then I'll pause it and then be like, mm. I'll just start looking up all this different stuff. And it's it's uh, it's as close as as that, like, what's that, Julia Roberts meme or GIF or whatever, where it's like all the numbers flashing everywhere, or like the the Hangover GIF, where it's like this. Zach like, Galifianakis. Yeah. It? Like, so that, it's as close to that in real life as possible. Because I'm just like, five star, the 2008 game. What about this? But yeah, that <laughs> sucks about that, that, that game. Because I remember, you know, we talked about this before with. Um, why am I drawing a blank? Amanda. Uh... Talking about Alyssa Lang, Amanda no, Brooks. No, no, Amanda Brooks. Amanda Brooks. I don't know why I forgot her last name. SEC Network PR, for those who don't know. And so she, uh, and she's great. She's awesome. But she, she, we were talking about her when we went to the SEC Network last September, late September, uh, to go visit them for the weekend. She brought up, like, she went to Vandy. She's a Vandy grad. I think she also did some stuff at, at UF, at Florida. But she was talking about how, you know, when she was at Vandy, 2008, first time they ever had college game day there. And it's like, so it's something that obviously sticks out, not just to, you know, the common SC fan, but especially for like Vandy fans, because you don't get those a lot. I mean, the 2010 S, like South Carolina-Bama game, that's the first time game day was ever on campus at, at South Carolina. Those kind of things really stick out. So I was shocked that we couldn't find this game. It's a bummer. It's yeah. a bummer. And, I, you know, hat tip to everybody who's listening who has ever put a game on YouTube. Yeah. I'm not tech-savvy enough to be able to do that. And I, we rely on that so much now doing oh, this so job. Oh, actually put it up there. Okay. Yeah, to actually, like, be the person who physically puts it up there and spends the time to be like, I'm going to make sure this two-and-a-half-hour clip gets on YouTube. Because it's not like you're just, like, looking these games up through the SEC Network's YouTube channel or something right. like that. It's all some random user out there who did the Lord's work and put a classic game on YouTube. It's great. Now more than ever, we are appreciating that. I, but we, <laughs> we talked about this last night with somebody, and it was really funny, and it was like, um, I've talked to you about this off-air, and this is, like, well, we won't get into it too much, but, like, 2013, Chris had to take a trip one time to get his life together. And I remember when I was taking this trip, I went uh, overseas. I went to Greece for, like, a week just to kind of, like, in my aunt and uncle's place. And I remember sitting there, and we were, like, in – Santorini and one of the things it like rained one day and they're like what'd you do all day and I was like I slept and watched old Bama games on YouTube and I started cracking they were like what is wrong with you that is so unhealthy and now it's our job yep so there we go thank you very much to anybody that's ever put a game up like that and also they didn't have one for this one but thank you to anyone that's ever put up like I love you you don't like him as much and I don't watch him for this but like for like for like doing this project but like if you've put up like a 45 minute version of a game or a 60 minute version of a game Hats off to you as well. Yeah, for this, for the sake of this argument, I like I like getting all the commentary. Yeah. I like hearing all the fan reactions, everything that happens in between. If I want to fast forward something, I have the ability to do that. Right. I'm not reliant on somebody else that's already done that for me. This game was on YouTube, and it was on YouTube because it was James Franklin's lone win against a ranked team at Vandy. So which bizarre. People forget that, and... We're going to talk a lot of Franklin because he is yeah. a very, very big part to this discussion, to these golden years. Yeah, sick pun. I used it, whatever, for Vandy. Um, Georgia had also won 
17 of its last 18 games against Vandy. Glad you brought that up because I was going I was going too shortly. That <laughs> the year the year earlier, 48 to three. Yeah. Um, when we talk about these program altering wins, we've we've brought that up that subject up repeatedly on this podcast, and not necessarily just with it just meant more, but these games that they get a national audience. And they beat a, a team that you have just looked at as a doormat for yeah. so long. And they beat a I team and they finally get over the hump. Looking back, you just realize, oh, this this was significant. And this hit people in a different way. Consider this. This game was on CBS. They hadn't put, they hadn't put Vandy on CBS since 1980. 1982? 1980. I don't know. Uh, I mean, Commodores had played four games as a ranked team, as a ranked team right. since 1960, um, they yeah, weren't playing this they game. They lost all four of those. It's like probably the first week they were ranked, it's and then probably lost the next week. Well, they won the Auburn game, the college game day game that oh, we weren't right. able to do, ironically enough. But I think they lost. They went on a losing streak after that. Um, this, even though this game wasn't one of those games that they played as a ranked as a ranked team, yeah. it was still massive. Commodore Stadium was packed. Not quite. Forty thousand fans. Yeah, there was some empty parts. No, Forty thousand right is, pa- is packed. Like it yeah, was a that's rainy true. day and gross. But no, when you talk about this, here's why it's important to me. So I and I thought about this when I when it happened because I was like the first question I brought up, and this was me being a, a, a Bama fan, but I was like, I don't think I've watched Bama lose to Vanderbilt in my lifetime because you really and it's and then most fan bases say that. So I went back and looked through each fan base and was like, how many times since I've been alive, 1986, have they beaten? these like bigger teams because almost like the Kentucky Florida like stretch where they like you know Florida lost Kentucky in 33 years whatever it was that's like Vandy for the most part against most of the the top tier or top half of SEC teams you know what I mean they they just they haven't consistently beat them so in my lifetime when I looked it up before this game uh Vanderbilt had beaten Georgia three times in my lifetime they beat them in 94 91 and 2006 Excluding those games, okay, and and two two of those three were decided by two points, like it was like 27-20 or 24-22, 27-25. Excluding those three games, in the entire time I had been alive watching this series, Georgia had only had or Vanderbilt had only even lost to Georgia by less than ten points, twice. Yikes. It was it, so it wasn't like it just. Not only was the series completely overwhelmingly on, on on Georgia's side, but it was it was never really even close. <laughs> not not quite like Florida and Kentucky, where you felt like Kentucky would just make that one play where it would shoot itself yeah. in the foot. I mean, how many times did that happen over the course of that rivalry, where Kentucky would just make the right. one play that it couldn't afford to make, and then they would find a way to lose to Florida? A little bit Obviously, different on this one. <laughs> so, yeah, a little yeah. little bit little bit different on that. Um, so Georgia was coming off of this devastating loss to Mizzou. And we, we've already talked about Georgia in that 2013 season when we did the LSU game. So we're not going to spend as much time talking and repeating a lot of those same things. But the Georgia perspective is important because they had already suffered this second loss. And the yeah. second loss came to this Mizzou team that we talked about last mm-hmm. week. The same Mizzou team that we had talked about last week where people were finally starting to realize how good Mizzou was based on that Georgia win. And right. you had, as you said, you had called that win when you were doing winning, winning and boozing back yeah. in the day. So everybody finally started to see the world through Marler. Exactly. I said the booze that day, Tito's Bloody Mary, Connor, our least favorite drink. And I didn't <sighs> mean the Tito's vodka. I meant Tito's the homeless person because that that's exactly what it was going to take, the guy outside the stadium, to get over that Yikes. loss. No, but so going through this, 
this is October 24th, right? October 24th, 2013, kind of late in the season, but not super late into the season. And, and what I forgot about this is they've got Florida coming up the next game, right? Georgia does. Yeah. And so this is off a team. And, and it's, it's so unfair to look back at it now and you're like, okay, they had nine players drafted off that defense from 2012. Like, how do you, how do you replace that much talent? And it, it, I think we all just kind of thought, well, they recruit well enough. They're going to be fine. Like, you know, they're going to be some, like, some hiccups, some some kind of, you know, uh, I, I guess, like, a learning curve, especially for all the younger guys. But I, we weren't expecting this. No. And there were, I think, a few other reasons that, that played into why Georgia was so dysfunctional on the defensive side of the ball. And we can uh, we will definitely talk about some of those other issues as well. Yeah. Vandy in this game, and the reason that we are talking about it is because it was a Vandy win. It was a monumental Vanderbilt win, as we know. Great comeback late. So we will go through all of those important details. But before we do that, Marler, our friends at Bet Online, have you won any Peloton poker lately? No, because I haven't played, and I hate to admit that because wow. you know I I love our friends at Bet Online. I say it every week. Get over to BetOnline.ag today. Uh, Connor's put out some some interesting. He put out an interesting story this week about Heisman odds. We've updated their Heisman odds. Did have one player that I was pretty surprised was on there, but we're not going to tell you who it is right now. Oh, who was it? No, who was it? It was Lynn Bowden, <laughs> but it was. Um, oh, that they yeah. had on there. Okay. But so, but, so, but it was also it was. Oh no, no, yeah, not yours. But it was also. Um, I, I think they changed that uh, now. But like, it they had they have a full list of all the latest Heisman odds. They have a full list of all the latest team win totals and stuff like that. Um, pretty interesting stuff. Uh, bet online. You can get those future bets in today. Um, I haven't played poker in a, in a minute because, humble brag, today is the three year anniversary of when I met Allie. So I told her I was going to take the week. We we're going to focus and hang out on each other. I wasn't going to spend my nights. Just gambling away. But it's almost over. Today's today's the anniversary. Tomorrow I'm gonna get right back on betonline.ag. There we go. Get over that today. But make sure you get on over to our social media, especially uh, after you get on over to betonline.ag and check out some of their win totals because it's really interesting stuff. A few that jump out, I'll just say this as of right now. You got Florida at nine and a half uh, nine and a half wins, the over under on that, Georgia at ten and a half, and and the money, you'd be surprised. That's all I'll say. You'll be surprised what the juice is on. For those two teams, go over to betonline.ag, check it out today. That's all I'm going to say. We are also doing roundtables for SDS for every team in the SCC based yeah. on those over-under win totals. And that's assuming that we are still going to have a normal season. Mm-hmm. But those are coming out every single day. Follow the uh, SDS Twitter account to get all of those, to get links to those. I'm sure they'll be all over our Facebook accounts as well. Okay. The directors. Let's start with James Franklin, the man of the hour, the most popular man in Nashville at this time. What Luke happened? Bryan. Luke Bryan. Uh, well, uh, 2013. Yeah, Luke Bryan's still pretty popular. Philip Phillips. Um, yeah. Um, what was <laughs> what happened the last time that Georgia went to Nashville? You might wonder. Actually, if you're Chris Marler, you're not wondering this because you know exactly what happened <laughs> so the last excited. time. I thought it was this game. So, so um, the first thing that you texted me after we decided on this game was, wait a minute, was that the game that Todd Grantham and James Franklin got into the post-game scuffle? Sadly, it was not. But it was the last moment that these two teams had in Nashville yeah. heading into this game. Um, in case you haven't seen it, James Franklin and Todd Grantham, then the defensive coordinator for, for Georgia, 
um, had this awkward, awkward spat that led to this like post game. It's not like it's not a post game brawl. It's a post game gathering. I think we need a new name for that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've seen this, but um, it, it's tough to tell just with the naked eye what kind of happened with all I'm that. I'm pulling it up right now. <laughs> WSM WSMV Nashville, the TV station in Nashville, yeah. had audio of it, and it's great. It's oh, awesome. It? Um, it all started apparently. This is according to James Franklin and what we were able to gather through the audio. Uh, the audio that James Franklin said that was actually confirmed by Mark Rick when they were talking to each other. Um, it all started with Sean Williams, who mm-hmm. had a pretty good NFL career actually as well. Um, the Georgia defensive back. He was rubbing the win in Franklin's face apparently. Um, Franklin in the post game handshake is still kind of yelling back at him. He's, yeah. He refers to him as number thirty six on Georgia. But instead of like getting to Rick, Grantham kind of gets there earlier, and it's yeah. kind of like while Franklin is still heated. Franklin's and then, walking towards Williams, who's who's walking away from him. Mm-hmm. Because I'm watching it now, he's walking away from him, and he's like waving his hand, like kind of talking about the game, and and then but so he's looking. You can tell he's looking right at Sean Williams. Right? Franklin has no idea where Todd Grantham is no, at this point. No, but Grantham is between them. And to yeah. not know where Todd Grantham is, because he's one of those guys, <laughs> as my grandpa would, would always describe, he's a guy that you'd hear before you see. Right, and, right. And he's, like, walking, and he's, like, not in direct line between between the two, but he makes his way to become in direct line and then mm-hmm. starts in. He does the whole, like, uh, don't talk to my guys yeah. thing. And you, you could just tell what's kind of going on. So then... Franklin being Franklin tells Rick about what happened. Right. Um, and, and Rick actually curses in the audio, which oh, I... Oh, heck. No, 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 no. Like, actually curses. What did he say? Look, go, pull up the, the WSMV clip of it on YouTube, and you will actually hear Mark Rick curse. If you've never heard that before, there it's there. Trust it me, like it's there. Awkward. I found it. No, it's not awkward. He, he says it, like, you know, naturally. I mean, it's PG-13 stuff. He's not dropping F-bombs, but... Is it um, normal? Sp- I don't see the WMC version. WSMV. If you just type in, if you just type in Todd Grantham, James Franklin, you're bound to find it. it it'll say like in the des- in the description or something like full audio yeah. or something like that. Normal. Because there's, uh, yeah, there's like a Zapruder like film of it on YouTube. That's what I was also watching. Like yeah. completely in slow motion. Uh huh. So, um, Rick Rick kind of like confirms basically what Franklin was saying and and Rick is like yeah you know that's kind of what I was what I what I thought it was blah 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 but like you need to understand watching this this is who James Franklin is yeah because a lot of people just take that and they swallow it or they suppress it and they try and just they want to move past it but James Franklin is going to make sure that he is getting his side out there he doesn't want to be looked at as the villain in any case and he wants to make sure that Mark Rick, the most influential person in the in the you know the stadium that day, knows exactly what happened. Yeah. And so like for Franklin to react the way that he did makes total sense, knowing his personality yeah. and knowing what he probably valued in that moment. Uh, here, you know, I always said Matt Luke looked like the kind of angry dad of the pool type thing. So. Todd Grantham looks like every single stepdad that's been kicked out of a uh, a, a minor. Uh, let me rephrase this. He looks like every single dad that has been kicked out of a little league baseball game ever. Just yeah. ever. I mean, he mm-hmm. he looks like he's so ready to argue with an a, a eleven and under umpire. It's not even funny. And and I don't. <laughs> I think that 
I had a lot of takeaways from this game and like just what my own opinion. I have no facts to back this up, which doesn't make me doesn't mean I'm not gonna share it. But I mean it just these two this combination of Rick and Grantham, I, I would say it had to be almost unhealthier than Kiffin and Saban. Like in my it like I just I can't assume that Grantham was just abiding by the things that Rick was trying to instill in his team and his and his players and stuff like that. And this was I totally get the whole thing, like don't talk to my guys, but like there's no way that Grantham was going to ever reprimand Sean Williams for what he no was doing. No chance. There's no, no chance. chance. And and, mm. and I guarantee you, celebrated it. I, I mean, I, I yes. guarantee you celebrated it. And, and he's just, I, I'm I'm not a fan of Grantham that much. Just because, just I don't know him personally or anything like that. But just because, you know, we we saw the choke thing against Florida. We saw some of these things that, like, you know, I've done as a fan when I was drunk, but not as a coach. Like, it's just a weird thing. He, he just, there's this line that he tends to overstep. And, and you know he's one of those guys, too. If he's on your side, for the most part, he's a guy you want to go to battle with. Unless you're a Florida fan facing Georgia. Or a Georgia fan that had to deal with third and Grantham firsthand. Um, so, it, it's just, it's interesting because he's obviously a pretty good coach. But, man, there there's there's some stuff sometimes. Like, I, I think it's one of those those guys where, it, it his players and and the way he coaches, it can be when it's good, it's good, man. But it has a tendency that if, if there's like one leak in in all of all that or just you know something goes wrong, it the whole thing goes wrong. And it's he, kind of fitting of his yeah, style, yeah, exactly. Getting getting it back to to Franklin here. So when Franklin was hired at Vandy after the 2010 season takes over, it, beginning in in 2011. He was this young offensive mind, 38 years old, and it's actually interesting, and I had forgotten about this, that Gus Malzahn had turned down that job in 2010. Oh, I forgot um, about that. <laughs> very, very interesting. Not not exactly a coveted job at the time. Yeah. Um, James Franklin, when he was hired, first black coach in a major sport at Vandy, still on the, the cutting edge of that yeah. in the SEC. Um, at Vandy. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, at Vandy, but still a very new concept in the mm-hmm. SEC. Still something the second, that, I think he's the second coach in the SEC, right? Behind uh, third, Craig. third, behind uh, Joker Phillips as well, Kentucky. Oh, yeah, okay. I forgot about Joker Phillips. Um, so coming into this in 2013, James Franklin, his rebuild is already evident. I mean, fresh off consecutive bowl games, that had never happened before at Vandy. Right. He did it in his first two years. Yeah. In, in 2012, the year before, I mean, they had the most SEC wins in 77 years. They had the most wins overall in 97 years. This was the golden age for James Franklin. That's enough of that, but yeah. After this season, he, of course, leaves for the Penn State job. But on the field, he did exactly what Vandy fans could have hoped for. Um, Best three-year stretch in program history. Finished ranked uh, in year two and in year three after this season. He beat Florida, Georgia, and Tennessee in 2013 alone. I think the only SEC East team that he did not beat was South Carolina. Which you just talked about, like, hey, beating rivals and how long it takes Vandy to beat certain programs. That's a really good thing to have on your resume of, like, look – Look at look at all these like he was these there from 2011 to 2013, 2011 through 2013. So literally the, the also the golden age and a and a and a, a peak that I don't think will ever be reached again in the South Carolina program. I mean it, that's yeah. that's when they had three straight years of finishing sure. eleven wins. Um, yeah, I mean it was it was crazy to see this because I've always so like we've talked about this like a little bit off air and by no means was I a great college baseball player, but Vanderbilt recruited me when I was in high school and I remember going up there for a visit. Like, 
like in in the fall. Actually, it was for a Bama for a Bama Vandy football game. It was the same weekend, and I went up there and I was looking at the facilities, all this kind of stuff, and I just kept thinking to myself, like, why do people not come here? Like, why would you? It makes sense for baseball. Why to go there? Because like you're not always getting a full scholarship everywhere, but like, why would you not want to go to Vanderbilt and have that degree? And so I've never I, understood where like like I, I get why they're not going to sign a top twenty five class every year, but it was amazing when James Franklin was there because. It kind of showed you, like, hey, if we have the right guy here, or we have like a couple of good players, this is what this can be. And and I don't know if Vanderbilt will ever get back to that. I don't know if Derek Mason is the guy that's going to take him. That I, I don't know. But it's it's one of those schools that they are the butt of the joke a lot. They are like the 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 basement dweller for the SC East and mainly the SEC for most of their like you know their existence as a program. However, there are times when Vanderbilt like I, like there's not a fan base in the SEC that has had, I would say within the last decade, especially since Franklin was there, that had a game against Vanderbilt, and they were like, okay, all right, we might have escaped one there. Here's a trivia question for Stump Marler. Love it. What was James Franklin's recruiting class ranked in 2013? So keep in mind, had already been there for a couple of years. Oh, I should According to 24-7 sports. I, was so, I, could, I, I could almost cheat on this because I have the Georgia 2013 class pulled up. Nope, don't be that guy. At it. Hands are up here. What was it ranked... Nationally. 2013. Um, I'll say 34th. Pretty close. 26th. Really? Good for them. Recruited the number 26 class at Vandy. I think it's a little bit different now as, yeah. as we talk about facilities and, and the gap has certainly increased in terms of what Vandy is able to offer. And that's been a big topic of discussion. It was with Malcolm Turner when he was the athletic director. And it's going to be as we move forward at Vandy, but still something that, you know, you just kind of wonder about like how, how long can they actually sustain yeah. success? And when Franklin left, it's kind of like, all right, well, at least he elevated the program. At yeah. least there's, they're coming back to that. Can't necessarily leave or blame Franklin for leaving for Penn State. He's a Ooh. Pennsylvania guy. I mean, th- from that perspective, like he's, it wasn't like he was one and done, Bobby Petrino, some crap no. like that. I, I mean, I, I really built it left. back up. And I think that there's – this is specifically for baseball, but it's like Vanderbilt – it's interesting to see. Like their basketball program is pretty rich in tradition. We talked about this off air the other day. They've had – I know they haven't made it anywhere close to the same depth of the uh, of the NCAA tournament, but they have one less NCAA tournament appearance than Michigan, I think, since like 2000 or something like that. And that's, that was specifically brought up for the sake of an argument. Eight, but, yeah. Yeah, so like – but their basketball program has been to the Sweet 16 like just, I believe, over in like double-digit numbers on that. Um, and they always seem to try to do something in terms of like – I don't know. Like the hiring that they, they go after – they really do make a commitment to trying to get the guy that's gonna just gonna take their program to the next level. And if you don't believe that, like their baseball program back in the day, Eric Bakich and Tim Corbin were they recruited me when they were at Clemson under Jack Leggett, and they went to Vanderbilt together, and, and Corbin took over. And I remember going up there, and they put in all these new crazy. They they had they had a nutritionist before any other school had a nutritionist. And I remember like I was like, those are really good hires. I think both of them ended up becoming head coach at Vanderbilt and in Michigan, uh, and they were you know played to the College World Series last year. But like look at Penny Hardaway. Like try, I mean, trying to trying to go out and get guys. They they've got. He was able to get a couple of five stars, and you know, I know one of them got hurt last year in basketball. But like, they always seem like they're this close. If they can have like some sort of sustainability or long term coach that sticks around, that's better than a lot. Of talk, wait, what did Penny Hardaway factor into that? He plays. He's a peasant. The basketball coach. No, he's in he's in Memphis. 
He's at Memphis. His, his son is at is at Vandy. Bryce Drew was the one who recruited the five stars. Uh, yeah, Bryce Drew had point. the winless season at Vandy. Jerry Stackhouse right. took over. I was, I Jerry was trying Stackhouse. To... That's why I mixed them up. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. So anyway, but you have you have like like Franklin was there for three years. I don't, Jerry Stackhouse. This this is still a stepping stone university and stepping stone program. I think in most sports besides baseball, but if you can't have some sort of level of sustainability from these coaches that they become huge difference makers. You wonder where the program would be. Franklin, he, being there for three years, I think even in this day and age, was like a godsend and, and pretty surprising, in my opinion, that he stayed for that long. They needed it. There was, though, the controversy when he left about the, the gang rape that four four Vanderbilt yeah. football players were, were charged with. And there was the whole controversy about Franklin admitting that he had lied to players about seeing the footage. And BuzzFeed had, had reported that he advised a player to delete the video. And Franklin like went on the stand and said that he had actually lied about saying the player, or he had actually like said that he lied to players about seeing the video. He just wanted yeah. to get some sort of reaction. Weird deal. All that was 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 kind of a messy thing. If there was one thing, uh, a big demerit in terms of the way that he left Ed Vandy, that was it. It's interesting the way that we have talked about him throughout the last 10 years. Yeah. And at times it's been very, very different. I think Franklin is a, a great recruiter. I think mm -hmm. he's fantastic. I think he's oh, done God, super, we super well at Penn State. Connor's in my not opinion, a fan of his play calling. In my opinion, he is awful as a late-game coach. Some of yep. the decisions that I have watched him make at Penn State where he has taken the ball out of Trace McSorley's hands, he has mm -hmm. taken the ball out of Saquon Barkley's hands, you're just like, dude, what in yeah. the world is going through that brain of yours right now? The fourth now? and because five call was pretty bad. Yeah, handing it off to Miles Sanders on fourth and five, yeah. not going forward on fourth down with Trace McSorley in the Citrus Bowl against Kentucky. These are the moments that Franklin has become known for in many ways because he has put Penn State to get into those positions yeah. where they are there in back in the spotlight dealing with all the sanctions that he had in the first part of his time where they still were so depleted, especially on the offensive line at Penn State. But now, if you ask the average person, the average person still probably puts him in the top 10 in terms of coaches. Oof. And I'm gonna make a comparison here that's not oh, exact. Bad. It's not exact, but I think there there are definitely some similarities. He's a little bit like the Northern version of Kirby Smart. He overthinks things. He wants to always be the smartest guy in the room. If you've yeah. ever been around James Franklin, and if you get anything but that vibe, I'd be very, very surprised. And he, he makes these decisions sometimes where he just gets in his head. And he's yeah. also very sensitive. Very, very sensitive. And that even part of the, you know, the Grantham fallout and all that was an example right. of, of that. that and sense. he has become this personality that now it looks a little bit more sustainable than it was, you know, a few years back. But I, I think that Franklin is just kind of a fascinating guy and what the path that he has followed the last 10 years. I am very interested to see what comes yeah. of his career in the 2020s. Mark Richt. We have talked about him a lot. On this podcast, talked yeah. about him in it just met more. What an awful two-week stretch for him coming into this, <laughs> or not not coming into this, but you know, the, including this game including where, this, yeah. I mean, you lose to what we considered at the time a pedestrian Mizzou team, where we were still thinking of them more as a five-win team in the SEC, the SEC yeah. newbie, and not oh by the way the team that's going to win the division. And then you lose to Vandy. I mean, from October sixth to November first, those were the only games that Georgia played in. That's a long time yeah. for a team that's preseason number five to talk about disappointment. That sucks. Yeah, I mean, and again, we should have seen it coming more because of the players they had to replace. 
but I mean, you're not wrong. It's still, it's still, <laughs> I just, I mean, whatever. It, like, I'm not going to say anything negative about Mark Richt, but these games happened a lot. And I, and I, I, you get the feeling that when you're watching this, especially, so this, this felt like to me, and I remember like what happened, and I kind of alluded to it earlier with Todd Grantham. It felt like to me like the beginning of like the whole foundation of what he had built to crumble. And, and I say that because you're coming off of the closest you've ever come as a program since 1980 to getting back to the national championship game. And part of that kind of falls on Rick's shoulders because of the way that game ended against Alabama in 2012 in Atlanta. That being said, you come into the next season again with great expectations. Georgia should have never been ranked that high. They should have never been ranked that with high. With that defense, they should with not have been ranked defense, that high. Should, how, much, should, how much of it is Aaron Murray coming back, though, for a senior oh, year? Oh, that all of it. That. All yeah. of it. And, and, and Gurley, too, And then obviously. you look at these recruits, and you're like, oh, man, yeah, they're going to reload. They always do. But this this year fed the narrative that Mark Richt, you know, could always sign great classes but not coach you up. This year fed that better than any other year. Because yeah, you have yeah. you have so many five-stars. You have talent all over the field. And you really start to see some of these guys like Damian Swan who was a top 50 player nationally, Ooh. huge high four, four-star recruit, and being openly picked on. Openly Rough picked, day. Like Brando, Brando, you know I don't like Brando, but Brando's sitting there, and he's like, he's like, oh, there's that guy again. And you're like, oh, God. And I knew before I knew before he even said I was like, I bet it's Damian Swan. And it was Damian Swan. And so it's like there's a couple of these players that Josh Harvey Clemens, that career doesn't really turn out the way they thought it would. And I know he's injured, injured in this game. game but, like, yeah. it was – it was there was just several players, and you started to see, like, that crumble. And I always just kind of thought that – when you, when you have like one of the most important parts I think of having a cohesiveness of a team is all the coaches are on board and you know like and, and, and it's like what they they say in relationships like same team okay like if you're if you're talking to your kids like same team united front whatever I just got the feeling that that Grantham he could probably put on that face with Rick but I don't think he was ever going to carry out the same message necessarily to his defense and I'm sure he thought of it as his defense to to be on the same page as what Rick was trying to do. And and I could be totally off base with that, but it just you look at these two these two personalities, you tell me a a bigger difference between a coordinator mm-hmm. and a head coach. It's 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 way more different than I think even Kiffin and Saban. I think we've done a disservice to our ourselves and our listeners by not asking Candler more about that relationship yeah. with, with Grantham and and Rick. That's that's one we definitely need to circle back to the next time we we chat with him. Uh, the A-listers. Let's start with Jordan Matthews, um, the Vanderbilt receiver who needed Jordan Rodgers to graduate in order to get first-team yeah. All-America honors, obviously. Um, <laughs> Jordan Matthews, all-time SEC leading receiver. That's a good Crazy. little trivia question that I think a lot of people would have a misstep on. I think really? not you, not oh, you. Wow. I think a lot of I think a lot of people would look. Uh, a little bit more generic. They'd look at somebody like Amari Cooper and Amari yeah. Cooper, who, by the way, broke Jordan Matthews' record for receptions, receptions in a season. season yeah. 112 catches this year. 112. That's stupid. At Vandy. That's really. He didn't really even good. have the most in this game. I well, he had 11 in this game. Oh yeah, he didn't have the most yards. That's my bad. Didn't have the most yards yeah. in this game. Um, second round pick, um, and was uh, is still trying to to make it in the NFL. Little teaser. We're gonna talk. Oh, a little bit more Jordan Matthews okay. later with the popular topic. Uh, Kenny Ladler, Vanderbilt safety, first team All SEC guy, out of what town? Stone Mountain, baby, three zero zero eight three. Now listen, if you are, I think it's three zero. It might have been three zero zero eight seven. I can't remember which one was smart on which one was that. But um, if you are a Georgia fan, you're sitting here looking at this and you're like, man, this sucks. They're making fun of. They're making fun of. Uh, 
Georgia and, and all this other stuff and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. It is 3083. Um, here's the one bit of information I'm going to give you that's going to make you feel better. And the, and the one reference I'll say that's going to make you feel better as a fan. Kenny Ladler from Stone Mountain, Georgia, went to Stevenson High School, home of Reggie Ball. So you're welcome. You're welcome, Georgia fans. There you go. That's, that's always got to bring up some good memories because Reggie Ball was the worst. <laughs> undrafted in 2014, but played in the NFL in 2019, which is pretty good for, for an yeah. undrafted guy. That Vandy secondary was good. It was really, really good with Ladler and Andre Howe. That was a, a very solid unit on the back end that Aaron Murray, as we will now mention, struggled with. Yeah. Um, I wondered watching this game where his head was at. Because when you suffer that second loss, that's what we always talk about, that, oh, crap, we're not going to a national championship, and realizing as a senior what that's like to turn around the next week and play a game that was probably more difficult, definitely more difficult than what they probably thought of at yeah. the time. Vandy finished the season really well, just as they did the year before, but hadn't won an SEC game to that point. And reality sets in for Aaron Murray that he's not going to be the guy to end the 1980 jokes. And Which I think that's bad or prevalent at the time. No, but I think that given what he had meant to that program and in college football with how long that offseason is, where he's yeah. talked about as the guy, preseason top five, all those things, that's a, I think that's a difficult thing to accept. And I'm not saying that that dismisses his performance in this game, which was not good. 16 of 28 for 114 yards. And he did have the two rushing scores as well. But I just kind of wonder if he just wasn't quite right upstairs for this one. No, I'm sure he wasn't. And, and I mean, like, Aaron Murray is one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play in the SEC. And he's one of the best competitors, I think. And, and, and I, will, I will always say that it blows my mind how, how people remember Aaron Murray. And, and part of me, this, is, sounds, this sounds pretty bad. But part of me is, is, is a little bit happy that Fromm didn't win the national title because of how I think it would have affected Aaron Murray's legacy. And that's not anything ill will towards Jake Fromm at all. But, like, I just get the feeling that, like, and, and part of this is, so here's an example of it. Um, Brian Hoyt, who's a guy on 6 of the Fan, guy I went to high school with. We've talked about him on here before. Uh, good dude. Really good dude. Well, anyway, he's, he's, a, he's a good dude. He's really good at his job. But he, he has this kind of ongoing feud with Aaron Murray because he kind of called him out for never winning a championship. And it's like, man, if that's the bar you're setting for your quarterbacks, like Stuff. Stafford never won a championship. You know Joe Cox and Joe Tarashinsky didn't win a championship. And, and you know, Zaire didn't win a championship. Quincy Carter, all these guys since 1980, since Buck Ballou, haven't won a championship. And so that always kind of like made me feel a little bit for Aaron Murray because it's like, man, this dude – broke every record you you ever had and probably will ever have in your in your quarterback uh or in your, your offensive record books at uga and to kind of deduce his or re, i'm sorry reduce his uh his entire like legacy to just being well he never won the big one that sucks that sucks the context that needs to be added to this and i'm sure there are somebody who is yelling right now whatever device that they're listening to saying how can you not talk about what they were missing on the offensive side of the ball? You have to talk about the fact that they were oh, missing yeah. Todd Gurley. They this were missing isn't, Keith well, Marshall. If somebody's yelling right now, be clear. Right. We're not blaming Aaron Murray. The two the two losses happened, yeah. though, without Gurley. And in a way, it sort of it put more pressure on yeah. Murray to, to move the offense. And at this in an point, way. yeah, I mean, he, 
for whatever reason, it, it looks like a grind for for too much too much of this game really. And Gurley being out uh, since the LSU game, it took its toll on this Georgia yeah. team. And having Keith Marshall, the former five star, out as well, it meant that walk on Brandon Douglas and JJ Green were the guys. You think about the stable of backs. <laughs> that Georgia has had over the years. And Brendan Douglas, who had a very key fumble in this game, um, he's not Todd Gurley. He's just not. No, he's not. He doesn't look like him. He doesn't run like him. He doesn't. Marler, he, I mean, heel, I'm just saying. Heel. I mean, he was, he is, ugh. I just, but, but J.J. Green, too, obviously wasn't the same. And, and I'll tell you what, like, Chris Conley was a good receiver. Like, he was a he was a good receiver. But you look at these, you look at the people he caught that caught passes from him that day, okay? Uh, Rantavius Wooten and Quavon Hicks both had two catches apiece. They had a combined 10 yards receiving. Brandon Douglas caught a pass. Arthur Lynch caught a pass. Jay Rome, five-star out of Valdosta, Georgia, tight end. He caught, a, he caught one pass. All of them for under 10 yards. Rhett McGowan. <laughs> Rhett McGowan, who, fun fact, isn't Brandon Douglas. Uh, I just, I had no idea. But then Reggie Davis, J.J. Green, Chris Conley, I'm just... When your best receiver is wearing number 31, the writing should have been on the wall. Yeah, that's fair. And also got injured on the very last play of this yeah. game. Yeah, that was unfortunate, too. Had a first-team All-SEC tight end, Arthur Lynch, who yeah, he was good. Won, won catch for seven yards. In Had a huge game. catch in that 2012 SEC championship game we talked about. This is true. The breakout performers, Jerron Seymour, the Vanderbilt running back. Um, and he's not, I guess, the typical breakout performer that we look for, but because he had had his first 100-yard game a few weeks earlier against UAB. Yeah. 19 carries, 75 yards, two touchdowns. Um, had the very, very big touchdown go-ahead, game-winning score with three minutes left where he just gave a little okey-doke. It's yeah. a really incredible move, move to be able to make in space like that. Bowling ball of a human being at 5'7", buck 96. 5'7", 196. Just, he had the stature of every... Spiked up hair, d bag personal trainer from a gold gym ever, just ever. Whoa. He wasn't one. I'm just saying that's that's the body type we're talking. First year of the post Zach Stacy era, and they kind of struggled, I think, to find that, those yeah. key ground game guys. And Stacy, uh, this was kind of the in between period, uh, in between Stacy and Ralph, Ralph Webb, Webb, and they're they're just trying to figure it out. So. Um, Pat and Rob Nett, the guy who made a huge impact on this game, and I- I'm sure up in the booth, they had nothing on the Vanderbilt quarterback. Not very much. He uh, he came on in relief of Austin Carter-Samuels, who uh, got sandwiched by Jordan Jenkins and got his ankle rolled on this play in the middle of this game. And then all Pat and Rob Nett did was come in and fuel this second-half comeback, <laughs> had the touchdown run in the fourth quarter to make it a one-score game. Um Fun most fact: Vandy, Vandy, This is the most Vandy sequence of events, sequence of events, ever. Now, now tell him the fun fact. The fun fact is that he stopped playing football because he wanted to go to med school. Good for him. It's like my role, but not good at football. It, like he, he, like he. So him coming into this game was so interesting to watch because it really. I don't know if this is before they had the sideline tents, the injury tents. That the two was, or that the Tunga Vilo was. Uh, this is trademarked. definitely definitely way before that, and okay, not at so, a place like Vandy, they were going to have that. It, so they they wheeled Cart or, or Carter Samuels over to this like side area where like this like bench was. It was in between stairs to go into the actual stands. Did you notice? There that? There was no privacy whatsoever. There was they, no privacy. There's if like a, a dude's fan leg wanted to reach over, the way. yeah, a fan could have reached over and like rubbed him on the head if they yeah. wanted to. You want some coke? Hey, Austin, Austin, you want a coke? I'm about to go to the. I'm about to go get a Coca Cola if you want one, 
So he had, he had, he, he, he like, and then also he's he's trying to walk it off. He's trying to walk it oh, off. Oh man, that was tough to watch. By himself, and they kept saying like, you can tell he, he looks like he's coming back, and I'm like, he looks like he's leaving the entire stadium, Tim. Like yeah. he, he just there's not there's not anyone with him. Like hey, is that how's that feel? Like what what do you what like give me like one to ten pain threshold right now? What are you thinking? And it's like <laughs> he's just walking away by himself, and it was like okay, it's just it was so bizarre to watch. Um, and it, it did start like uh, the I think the biggest travesty from from that incident is not the injury. It's that Tim Brando he that that story he had just in his back pocket, ready to go because his 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 grandfather had passed away the week before, mm-hmm. and he had surprised him with a visit on during Vandy's bye week, and then he comes back in this game and he gets injured and it's like you talk about it, if they would have won this game with him at quarterback, what an incredible story. You know, probably been a lot more memorable for for other fans as well. The prominent oh my extras. God, Josh Gaddis, the Vanderbilt receivers coach, who is now, as we know, the Michigan offensive coordinator. Somebody who we have talked about before. The former co-receivers coach slash offensive coordinator at Alabama. Really, how much impact, really thought highly of himself. How much impact he had on the offense? That depends who you ask. Just don't ask Mike Loxley about that. Don't ask Josh Gaddis about it either. Very confident dude. Very confident dude. But I will say, in the past 10 years, and I guess up until the time he became a coordinator at Michigan, guy has coached some incredible wideouts. And he's developed yeah. a lot of them. I'm not going to say all of them. But th- look at this list. Jordan Matthews, Chris Godwin, Deshaun Hamilton, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddell, Devonta Smith. They didn't do anything in 2017 at Bama. Those guys, That's remember? That's the worst take you ever had. They, I, I'm, too, I'm not, I'm not going to say that he deserves all the credit for that. Obviously, the system, Brian Dable system. I'm saying that they, that it needs to at least be brought up because those guys were darn good after he got there. Some of which, some of those guys have credited him as a as a reason for that success. But I have watched guys like Chris Godwin yeah. get very, very good. Jordan Matthews, another one. Jordan Matthews was not a highly touted recruit by any stretch of the imagination. Who was developed by Josh Gaddis? I think he's good it's, at his job. I think he's the first person to let you know and say Devonta Smith. Jay- Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, and how they didn't do anything in all caps in 2017. Because once Tua Tungabailoa came in and was actually playing quarterback in the second half of that national championship, Obviously. Ruggs and Devonta Smith both got touchdown passes. And True, they were fair. playing a completely different... I mean, like, I think that has a lot more to do with the fact that Loxley and Sarkeesian, especially with Tua, were running a little bit different offense than they were running with... Not, and not even just with Jalen Hurts, because Jalen Hurts is, is a much better quarterback people give him credit for. But that year specifically, it was like, eh, I don't know about all that. And Josh Gaddis yeah. also, I will never, admittedly, will never give him credit because of the, the what time are we at here? Because of the <laughs> he was talking going into that Citrus Bowl and after he left about how great he was in Alabama's offense. If you were great, we probably would have put up more than 14 points or 16 points in that national championship game, Josh. Ralph Webb, better vote <laughs> running back. Just a true freshman at the time, uh, redshirted. This, this I still can't get over. And uh-huh. it, baffles, it baffles me probably more so because I started oh, yeah. covering the SEC in 2017 when he had his worst year in college. So the weird. only SEC players with more career rushing yards. There's five, and it, they are darn good. <laughs> Herschel, Chubb, McFadden, Falk, Kevin, not Marshall, and Bo. That's the entire list of SEC players with more career rushing yards than Ralph Webb. What did he average his senior year? It was really up. Oh, like it was 2. bad. 2.9 yards per carry or oh, 3.1. It was I think definitely it was under 3. 
It was three yards in a cloud of dust. It, it was, was brutal. Yeah. He was the entire offense after Franklin left. Oh, my left, God, though. I hate you so much. I'm reading through the notes right now. Zach Cunningham, the Vanderbilt linebacker, who was just a, a true freshman at the time, four-star recruit out of Alabama, Pinson High. Um, why didn't he play if he became such a great player for Vandy? Yeah. Vandy's defense was actually pretty decent, all mm-hmm. things considered. I thought they, they did a pretty good job in this game, 44th in the country in scoring. But Cunningham was a, a future All-American tackling machine. Get this, been in the NFL for only three years. Dude already has over 300 tackles. It's pretty yeah. good. That's yeah. pretty, pretty good. It's like Jamie um, Winborn, who I don't think you remember Jamie Winborn, but he's... Ah, uh, before my time. Yeah, so he was he was a linebacker there in the late 90s, early 2000s, and he was all over the field. Just all over the field every every single game. It's crazy. But they, that's a lot, a lot like him. Last one on this list. Only Georgia player I have. Trey Matthews. He was injured in this game, by the way. He didn't even play. But I just wanted to put him on here to ask the one question. Thoughts? I will never not hate him i just i mean it, this 2013 season he had oh my god i'm, I'm not gonna get into it it's only gonna make me mad but um i'll give you some extra ones that, of people that uh were also standing out so this is a look through the coaching staff our friend mike bobo this is true will friend former bama offensive lineman actually ended up being a coach at uga uh this season they were both on the coaching staff here at the time and then this was, I thought, pretty interesting. So Dan Inman, it was an offensive GA there, just like I was looking through like, the 2013 season, uh, went to UNC Pembroke, which was, I didn't even know they had a football team. They were, in the, they were in the Peach Belt, which is what I was in uh, when I went to college. I didn't know they had football teams because we didn't. Relatable. They're very relatable. Um, other ones here, Chris Burnett, good friend. Uh, he was an offensive lineman. David Andrews later played yeah. for the, uh, the Pats, obviously. Uh, captain. John Theus, we talked a little bit about on the 2012 uh, Episode. And then I just had, so Malcolm Mitchell, was he hurt this game? He wasn't playing, I don't think. Crazy to me. Just absolutely crazy to me. So that's that's all I had for the most part. And we, and we did talk about this a little bit earlier. Keith Marshall being out also hurt. And you just kind of mm-hmm. wonder if, like, one of these guys wasn't injured. Would things have been a little bit different? Could have been. Could have been. The story arc. Favorite line from the broadcast. Oh I've got a um, lot. I got two. I got two. I'm wondering if we have any overlap here. The camera goes to this shot of Ugga sleeping in his crate. And Tim Brando, who's on the call for this game, says, I know it's an early kick, Ugga, but please, my goodness, I guess Ugga hasn't had his first sip of the morning. Tim Brando, how dare you? Take Ugga's name out your mouth. And I say this, ironically enough, Tim Brando started following me on Twitter today. I don't I, I Oh, think did I he really? Tweets. Ironically enough, I didn't even tag him <laughs> in anything. I promise. I didn't call him out. So Tim, if he's listening, I just want you to know, I hope you have learned in the last seven years not to call out our sweet prince. You he's will your never case of speak, my sweet prince. You will never speak of Ugga's name in vain. Never, ever. That's not my favorite line of the broadcast. This is my least favorite me. line. Unblock me now and face <laughs> face reality. I'll slide in the DMs. Hey, can you unblock my No, I mean, if, we, if he does, we need to have a very long conversation. <laughs> Aaron Taylor was also on the call. He was the, the color commentator for this game. Uh, great, great line. This was my true, actual favorite line of the broadcast. Yeah. He said, uh, James Franklin is doing for Vanderbilt what Jim Harbaugh did for Stanford, taking a bunch of bookworms and making them street fighters. I love, I love that analogy. Street Fighters is one word. 
And like in, in the Google it Doc, it, I just says it says Street Fighters, and there's no red squiggly line. That is honestly the, Vanderbilt beat Georgia for the third time in my lifetime in this game, and this is the biggest upset. This is like yep. Street Fighters being one word. Wow! Make sure next time you're playing Scrabble, and you probably should be because we're at home in quarantine. Try to play Street Fighters. Um, so I have a couple of my least favorite lines from the broadcast because you know me and Brando don't go way back, and. He's had me blocked for years. Um, and I'm pretty sure it was just based off of something like, hey, man, you really hate Bama, and you really love LSU. Like, why don't you just admit that? But we'll get to that another day. Uh, my least favorite line. So my, fav- my favorite line, I did have one. He had a really good line on this one. He said, the, the pick six that Shaq Wiggins had. Oh, okay? great play. And in typical Brando fashion, <laughs> for me, he had a great line and then ruined it immediately. And yeah. he, he has this great line where he, like, because, like, earlier in the game, like, I think I think Taylor said something like, Vanderbilt's going to have to throw the kitchen sink at him or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he says, take that for your kitchen sink. And he runs it back on a pick yep. six on this very weird play call, which was like. I screenshotted out, it. I screenshotted it. Yes. If you, if you have not seen it, I tweeted this the other day. The formation that Vanderbilt ran on that play, they had, like, four dudes lined up just basically wide. Ahead of Jordan Matthews, I think it was. It almost looked like another. No, it wasn't Jordan Matthews. It was Kraus, and they. they oh my god! And it was almost like another shotgun formation. It looked like where the actual quarterback would be taking the snap because they had them all bunched. And they had like three offense, or yeah, like three offensive linemen who were kind of spread. I have no idea no how this formation is them. legal. No one blocked him at all. They had four guys, and nobody. <laughs> blocked so, him. It's the most obvious pick six ever. It was terrible. It was, Why did he throw it was that? Like, he he threw it, it like the, the way it looked like to me was and so they had a, they had a receiver in the slot or he might have been attached like as the inside guy with the other three offensive linemen. Okay, so if, if you're if you're into car, just picture this: if you're drawing this up X to nose, you're the quarterback in front of you. There's three offensive linemen in like almost like a uh, a flying V, almost right. You Spread have one apart, receiver out Mizzou right. style. Yeah, so you, yeah, exactly. You have stop touching each other's fingertips, you weirdos. And so they have they have. Somebody else way out wide. So that's like, and two, I'm sorry, two guys down to the short side of the field. So you have um, receiver there. And so you have these four guys up top, and one of them on the inside is the receiver. And they're in a straight line, just a straight line on the line. And then you have a receiver who's behind him. And he's he's like, even with where the quarterback is in shotgun. So they snap the ball. The receiver who's on the inside part of that little mini wall we've talked about out on the hash in front of the other receiver takes off on a go route. He just he just runs down the seam. He's he's just taken off. So it looks like they're going to throw to the receiver and he's going to throw it again to that guy running down the field. Yeah, but the but assumption he didn't is even that guy's going to get the ball. Yeah. He didn't even he, like he didn't make a move to go backwards. He didn't they didn't like like usually be like okay, snap and then like fake something and then like throw it over here where he's behind so it's like a lateral. No, it was like a forward pass and and like Shaq Wiggins just stepped in front of it and no one moved. No, no one. one. <laughs> no one. It was, was one of my favorite. Statue of Liberty bad... play that throws right into the defensive back's hands. Uh, what? It's one. It's one of my favorite bad pick sixes I've ever seen. It's just this formation is just freaking nuts. It's great. It's great. Yeah. It's a, that was my that was my favorite line because the whole kitchen sink thing. Quickly, they come back from break. Quickly followed by my least favorite line ever because it's one of my least favorite songs ever. Wiggins took that to the love shack. Not a B-52s guy? Shaq Wiggins is is his name. And they said Wiggins took that to the Love Shack, which was such a stretch. And I was like, but it makes sense. The B-52s got their start in Athens, Georgia. But Brando didn't even know it. He's like, I'm pretty sure the B-52s are from Georgia, aren't they? 
Like he had stumbled upon his own joke, and I was like, God. Have you ever watched Tim Brando dance? Is that a thing, Connor? No, that's a thing. Really no, that's a thing. He Tim Brando dances on what the like, graves of Bama losses. Full on, yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe a little bit. He could have actually gone with an LSU reference there. You know, Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. Took it home. A uh, lot, a lot of you know, a lot, a lot of ways that he could have made that more favorable yep. for himself than referencing the B fifty twos. The um, coldest take. Oh, did you have any more here? Any more favorite? No, no. Sorry, I have I several, several, several of the coldest takes though. I have okay. One, two, three. I got so, two. Okay, go ahead. So uh, Tim Brando, he says, "Yeah, Aaron Murray and the dogs are coming off a loss, but no, they're not done." This was in the pregame, by the yeah. way. That's followed by Aaron Taylor saying, "I think Georgia is still very much in this thing." Now, <laughs> look, I get it. Yeah, you gotta you You're gotta build it up. You gotta build it up. You're trying to make your game sound good. We've all been there. I've written game stories before with towns of 400 people in central Nebraska where there are six people that are gonna read that story. But I'm gonna write that story like it's the freaking Super Bowl, man. That is my job. That is what we are paid to do in this business. Yeah, we embellish a little bit sometimes. So what? Our job is to draw interest into what you are consuming. Yeah. My job is to make fun of everybody. But Georgia's four and two, coming off of a fifteen-point loss to Mizzou. Uh, they have the second loss already. Don't try and sit there and tell me that they're still. They in They tried this to thing. make a storyline the whole game, Connor. Oh. They kept going on. They were like, "Don't be surprised. Don't listen. Don't be surprised if Georgia comes out of this thing. Like it. This has been a crazy. Like Tim Brando. Hey guys, this has been a crazy. Like he 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 didn't mention the fly in the ointment, which." blew my mind that he didn't drop that line. He used to always say it in the late 90s. But when he said the thing about, like, like, like Georgia still being in it and, and all sorts of stuff, it was like, they, they just, it came off so much more as, I don't know what we're talking about, but I'm here for the day. Like, like substitute teacher, try, it'd be like me being a substitute teacher trying to teach, like, chemistry. Like, yeah, in lowercase a 11, man. I, I heard that, <laughs> brother. Like, what are you talking about, dude? Mr. Marler, can I go to the bathroom? Everyone go to the bathroom. Leave me alone. <laughs> it's it's an 11 a.m. game. It's on CBS. CBS had a rare doubleheader that day as well. Yeah, that was kind of what opened year. the door for them. Yeah, yes, exactly. They usually do the the one a year. Last year they did the um, it was the Notre Dame uh, Georgia game. Yeah, as well that was part of the the doubleheader. But so they're they're trying. They're trying. They're doing whatever they that can. Like, I, I don't. I'm not going to call him that. Tim Brando no. is a. I think Tim Brando is a very good all-time announcer. Yeah, he has he had is. moments of, of of which that you know have have made us kind of cringe. But you know who has? Well, and my comment was more so. And I like Aaron Taylor too. I, I think they do a great job. I watch it every week. The the CBS that Tuesday night show from like eight to ten. It's like the the college ball roundtable show, or whatever. With, with Houston Nut getting all excited. <laughs> so a- Andy or oh, I'm sorry, Aaron Taylor. Those guys didn't he play at Nebraska? Aaron, uh, I don't think Aaron Taylor did. He won sure the Lombardi Award. Um, All right, I gotta look this up. I'm just selling like an idiot here. It's, it's Nebraska, Notre Dame, or USC. It's 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 a blue blood for sure. I think. I hope. Look it All up. Right, anyway, well, regardless. So, so Tim Brando and and them like like it's it's not their fault. They're not like the B team because they're not good at their job by any means. They are. <laughs> they're just not the best, and they don't. It seems like CBS never put them in situations to really succeed because it's like all right. 
You guys are going to be up on the national broadcast this week. We need you because we got we got a double header. Oh, cool, awesome. Where are we going? You're going to be the 11 a.m. kick in Nashville for Vandy, Georgia. Like, what the hell, man? Like, what? Aaron is Taylor went to Notre Dame, by the way. Okay, perfect. So listen, here are the worst takes of the broadcast, and I can't believe you don't have any of these listed because these are all time bad takes. Um, we'll start with the easiest one. <laughs> fourth and one, fourth quarter, 11:40 left in the game. Vanderbilt has the ball. And, and they go up to the line of scrimmage, and they're like, it could be four-down territory. They do a hard count, and he's like, ah, they're just trying to draw him off sides with the, with the, with the snap count here. Yep. As that, that last thing comes out of his mouth, like they're just trying to draw him off sides, that last S comes out, they snap the ball and run for a first down. So there's your first one. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I, I spaced on that. I should have had that in there. You're that, right. was, that was the Ray Drew, the Ray Drew one. And this was just kind of funny, and it wasn't yeah. their fault by any means. He's like, I, my guess is this will be overturned. And then Aaron Taylor starts t- going into, like, when you're a defensive football player and you're doing it, like, he's like, all right. It's, it's, His it's, voice is so low. It's so it's low. So low. It's, it's, they start coming back, and he, <laughs> you know, and he always talks out of the, only the side of his mouth, so it's weird that it's that low. But he, it's, he, he sounds a lot like Sling Blade almost, but like without the country accent. So he comes in and he's like, you know, it's, it's, on defense, they got all these guys coming to blah, blah, blah. And, and Tim Brand is like, all right, they're coming back, they're coming back, they're coming back. Like he's at the ruin the ending of a movie. Yeah. And then they come back and it's like, after further review, the play call, the play on the, call on the field stands. And it's like, what? So over they're both, they're both had, Yeah, they both had no idea what was going on during that moment. But... The worst take in the history of bad takes in the SEC. I know where you're going. Aaron Taylor says, after just a beautiful chef's kiss, third and three inside zone call, God dang it, Bobo! Aaron Taylor, they both disagree with the play calling, which was a theme of Mark Rick and and, and Mike Bobo's team team, uh, work over the years from Georgia fans. He says, (laughs) Aaron Taylor says, you have arguably the best SEC quarterback that's ever existed. <laughs> Talking about Aaron Murray. And Aaron Murray's been great, and he did a lot of things in the record books. But let me see. Let me read that again. Yep. You have arguably the best SEC quarterback that's ever existed. I thought listening to that. Oh, man. Here's what I think happened. And th- this happens even on the podcast when you when you talk for a living on live air and sometimes you just have things that you meant to say one thing and it comes out a little bit different and it tweaks it. In this game, Aaron Murray set the SEC all-time record for total offense. He passed yeah. Tim Tebow for it. I think Aaron Taylor was trying to hark back to that nugget, <laughs> and instead, what came out was something that made everybody go, "Wait, wait, what? What?" Wait, and Tim Brando didn't call him on it no. or anything, and he could have. He could have, and it would have been an awkward moment. But I think he was trying to make the point of, look, you have the all-time leader in SEC total offense. Yeah. Give, give him the ball. Not you sure. have the best quarterback in SEC history. Come I'm on. not always great with words, but I've never slipped Oof. up that much. That was I mean, that Oof. was tough. Yeah. All right, that was good. That was really good. A lot of cold takes in this game. Uh, the Jadavion Clowney reminder that normal people don't play this game. You're, you're not going to understand this reference, but I'll get to it. Trust oh. me. Um, Thanks so, for already being condescending about the joke. I can't wait. No, 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 no. Because <laughs> in the middle of me saying this, you and anybody who's listening, I, I, I'm not saying you, just you, Marlar. Yeah. I'm saying people listening to this. Um, you're going to be like, wait a minute. Where's the the freakish moment that you're talking about here? This isn't clowny-like. Yeah. Carrie Spear on the fake, 
field goal when Vandy Amazing. is down 10 to 7. What a call by James Franklin in this moment. I make fun to of perfection. A, yes. I, I, I am very critical of James Franklin's calls, and I think a lot of times he overthinks it. In this instance, he did not. This was practice. This was executed to a T, a handoff from the holder to the field goal kicker, and then he runs through a wide open hole. Four points was the difference in that game, too. And you know where my mind went immediately after watching this? No. Pat McAfee. Ice cream? Pat no. McAfee. <laughs> Carrie Spear. Athlete. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was so, you know, it was funny, too. When I watched that happen, it was a great call, and it worked, like I said, to perfection. It's great. It's, it, there's only so many plays that can come from that formation, and it always amazes me to see just a little bit different wrinkle that different coaches the come up with. The flip over the cool. head. I right. love that. And so, so this one, it was just like a straight-up handoff. One shouldn't be legal because the dude's knees on the ground i've never understood that Two, they make the exemption for the for the holder yeah. in, in college football so the other thing is when he did it remember how i was describing like two weeks ago or a week ago how just since i'm so old talking about the the computer version of ncaa football and how the guy would be like you have to press a and he'd be like Zzz, and he'd like hunch over like that was his burst <laughs> of speed he did this in that he play, yep. and he had he had both hands over the football like he looked. It looked like little giants came to life, and he, but he knew what he was doing. He he hunched over the ball. He had both arms over the football, just like they taught you to do in 1994, and it was <laughs> it was amazing to watch. What a, what a beautiful play call that I I I think that if if you tried to to run that yeah. uh, ten times, it, it probably fails nine times. That was the one yeah. that it succeeds. Well, you know what's funny too is so, who was who was, who was the guy that was who was number fifty two? Was it? It wasn't Herrera. I think he was gone. Whoever it was that got blocked out of the play on the play on the on the fake, and I mean because like you see it, wasn't he's, Jenkins. He's, he's right. No, it wasn't Jenkins. He's, Jenkins is gone. I think he was. He's right over the the, um, like the tight end or the second to last guy. And there's another guy on the outside of him, and they're sitting there. And it's like surely that they are not going to open up a hole that big for him to go yeah. through. Massive. And they did this like weird. It was almost like a punt safe. Like they just separated and and just got further to the boundary, and it just like I mean just the red sea parts. And he just walks into the end zone, and the next play they lined up again to because what was weird about it was it was fourth and three. So then they had to kick an actual extra point in the same formation, and I, both of them sat there and you could tell like like I'm surprised you didn't see like their legs quivering. It's like yeah. let's do it again because they're in the same formation. <laughs> and he didn't move and then waited to the ball was like in the stands before he walked off the field. It was like all right, all right, there we go. Just making great, sure. great moment in this game. What do you got for this one? Um, wait, what was the question? The Jadavian Clowney reminder that normally oh, plays game. So in the second quarter, uh, late in the second quarter, I believe it was late in the second quarter. Aaron Murray tucks the ball like on a third down or second down, something like that. I think it was, I think it was second down. Tucks the ball. They're like on like the six-yard line or something like that or maybe maybe further back. And he goes to tuck it in to run. And whoever the safety was for Vandy, just helmet to helmet, lights him up. Mm-hmm. He pops right back up. And you can actually hear the overwhelming amount of boos coming from <laughs> coming the Georgia from fans. Georgia fans because they're like, what the – Dude, like we like we already had a we had a player ejected. We had one of our better players ejected from this game for and I have it in my notes. It says what time is it here? 106. Actually, I won't say it this time. Total BS call. It was just a bad call. And so this one for this one not to even get reviewed, it was like, what? But Aaron Murray popped right back up, went right back to work. 2020, that's that's obviously a yeah. penalty for for the contact of the quarterback even though he is 2020, in the open field. Like, there were 17 targeting penalties in this game. <laughs> yeah, seriously. The Trent Richardson, I can't 
believe they didn't make it in the NFL. Now, there wasn't an obvious candidate for me for this game, but instead I went with Jordan Matthews for this reason. Now, we, we brought up the accolades earlier. SEC's all-time leading receiver, um, all-time leader in receptions as well. He's not a bust. He's not a bust. I'm not no. saying that, Vandy fans. Do not get upset. But his career might be over after six years. Second-round pick. Never had a 1,000-yard receiver or 1,000-yard season. And I think that even in this game, like he's not, he doesn't look like he has blazing speed, so to speak. Right. But I think he just runs really well at that size. He ran like a 4-4-6 at the combine at 6'3", yeah. 212, obviously had really, really good hands, was just, I mean, super, super reliable for that team. Just kind of was one of those guys who I, and maybe he will have a second life in the NFL. I say this just because he really didn't catch on anywhere yeah. this past season, and he's gone kind of back and forth, Eagles, 49ers, I mean, kind of been around now at this point. But, you know, just never really kind of developed into one of those, like, guys you just gotta have on your team or guys that you know you give that second contract to i don't think he got that that second deal that was you know really significant or anything right thought he would have a better nfl career i remember i remember when he went to the eagles and the person i think i was dating at the time was from up there they had season tickets and stuff like that and and her brother was uh he had season tickets and, and he was so excited about about him like more so than any other players like i really think He's gonna be like a, like a difference maker in the offense, and just I, I think he was. I mean, he's had like you said, he's had a good NFL career, but it is a little bit surprising. Uh, okay, but, yeah. but you know, if you if you look if you look at if you look at like I I wouldn't be surprised if we look up five years from now, and he's retiring after a ten year career. Could be. It it just seemed like he he couldn't get on the field yeah. at all um, this past year and was. Had a little bit of a cup, a little bit of a cup of coffee with the 49ers. Yeah, with their receiving depth, they they couldn't even still find a spot for him. Right. So, um, um mine mine is also a receiver, mm. and he's actually still in the league as well. Um, but it is, it is a uh, Chris Conley, and strictly because, and I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get just like this is purely based off of what he did at the NFL Combine. It, okay. it, this is a guy that is six two. 215, ran a 4.35 and had a 45-inch vertical. Uh, also had an 11-foot, 7-inch broad jump. All of the, I'm like, just a combine workout warrior, hero, whatever you want to say. Um, he's had like a decent, decent NFL career. He's still, I think he's currently with the Jaguars. He is, um, yeah. But right now. you know, he played with he played with the the Chiefs at like the worst possible time. It's almost because mm-hmm. like Mahomes is before Mahomes got there, or maybe it's like the last year Mahomes was there. But yeah. uh, it's a guy that never had over 700 yards receiving in college, which it, and so it surprised me almost more than anything is not that like well, I can't believe he didn't make it in the NFL because he's still playing in the NFL. He's only had 151 total receptions, but in 2,000 yards receiving, does have 11 touchdowns, which is pretty good. But what were they doing at Georgia with him not being more of a focal point? I just don't get it. I don't. Anyway. Right a four three five, pretty good. Four three five and a 45 inch vert, and I remember I remember like the, the first thing that always. Pounds. At 213 pounds, and the thing that always pops up to me is they when they talk about him is he comes in and has like or when you when you Google search his name, one of the first things that pops up is that him like jumping beforehand or like mm-hmm. like doing like the before he does like the 40 yard dash. And he's like it seems like eight feet off the ground. It's just ridiculous. Could be eight feet off the ground. Could definitely be eight feet off the ground. The thing you didn't know slash remember until rewatching slash researching this. 
I had forgotten that, even despite the fact that we did the 2013 um, LSU-Georgia game, I'd forgotten that Georgia did not have a player drafted in the first four rounds the following year. Yeah. I mean, no, that, that's Conley was drafted while well, it was 15. The following year, yeah. yeah. The defense, as we've talked about, just so young at this point, in two banged and up injured. in this game. Ray Drew tossed for the targeting call, which was awful in my opinion. And they were already without Trey Matthews, and they lose Josh Harvey Clemens in the middle of this it's game. It's good they were without Trey Matthews because they probably would have lost by more. You got that no, on your system? No, it'll, it'll come up again. Okay. Uh, Grantham's system. It, it failed this year, and he ultimately lost his job for a pretty obvious reason. Yeah. Now, having watched two of these games in full and understanding the you know every the the circumstances surrounding it with all the talent they lost off that 2012 team, when you don't have experienced pass rushers who can get home right. in his system, you leave these young defensive backs on an island, and it's just not pretty. It's not. No. And there were so many moments in this game where – they should have been able to get to a backup quarterback for Vandy, and they yeah. just couldn't do it. And well, they got gifted go the pick six. They did, and that was you know great play on the outside that Wiggins made, no doubt about it. But too many times in which you're just like, all right, you need you can't just sit there and let this quarterback operate, and then Jordan Matthews comes in on a drag or something like that. And you're right. just giving him too much time to get comfortable. Yeah, I think for me it was I. I I forgot that, and, and this is just my opinion, and I could be wrong about this or people might disagree with it, and I'm sure Georgia fans might have a more in-depth answer or opinion on it as well, but I, I forgot that, for me, this was like the beginning of the end for Mark Richt. And I know yeah. that it sounds weird because he didn't get fired until the 2015 season, but it's one thing to start top five and, and not live up to expectations that they're already, in my opinion, at this time, not now, but at this time, we're all, already always too high for these Georgia teams. It's one thing to not live up to those expectations. It's another lose of Andy. And I, I'm not saying that in a way that there's no way to say it and not discount uh, Vandy as a program or their fans, and I'm sorry to say that. But, yeah, like it's, it's just I, it, it, the, you can't lose to Vandy. And, you go and from 48-3 to three to that. Right, and, and you do it that quickly. And it's just it's one of those things. I, I, I forgot, one, that Georgia was ever ranked that high to start of the season, even though we did the 2013 LSU game. The other thing I forgot is that you've said this before on, on this episode is like the golden age of Vandy. I forgot how fun it was when Vandy was good, man. Because, you know, like we, we have 2017, the first year I worked with SDS, is the year <laughs> that they did the whole, like, Alabama, you're next. Coming after you. Jam on. So that guy with the Michael Jackson voice, and they had the one guy in the, in the stands by himself, that picture that went viral of the Vandy fan just there by himself, versus this game where you got – People, people wearing Vandy football jerseys of actual players. Not like double zero or number one. <laughs> like, like team name on the back, Dwight Schrute or from Dwight or whatever it is. Like, it's like you, you, have these, you have actual fans of players and fans of the team. And they're, they're supporting not just something to do on a Saturday. Like, I, I forgot how – people always say, like, well, the SC, or national – College football would be better if Nebraska was back, or SEC football would be better if Tennessee was back. You know, I think it would be it would be better if Vandy was back. Whoa! Yeah, that take. I mean, just like at least at least like where they're they're actually, you know, where it's not a huge upset if you lose to them, where they're actually like a good team. Well, you make a good point because I I am the anti look. I don't need the traditional blue bloods to be back. I didn't necessarily need Tennessee to be back. I. 
for me, I will still watch and consume the sport in the same yeah. way. If you know, if Notre Dame's not winning eleven games in a given year, I'm not going to be like, oh, college football wasn't as good this year because Notre yeah. Dame wasn't as good. I like seeing the Vandies. I like seeing programs that can rise up and and blow past your expectations. Right. I like it when the, when all of a sudden you can tell how much this means to a specific group of people who have experienced years and years of frustration and pain to know that, look, this is different. And it's not just a run-of-the-mill season. And you see those teams that can savor the moment. So I am... I am agreeing with you on that in a in a different yeah. sort of way, but I think that's a, a good point to to bring up with this. Yeah, agreed. When the losing team blew it, a couple instances. Uh huh. Georgia, as only it could in this game, is about to get the ball back, up twenty seven to fourteen. There's nineteen seconds left in the third quarter. You're feeling pretty good at that point. You've got, as yep. Aaron Taylor said, the best quarterback in SEC history in Aaron Murray. No, ever exist. <laughs> Aaron Murray was not that. He was a good college quarterback, but he was not that. Damian Swan muffs the punt, and it's exactly what Vandy and that crowd needed. Yeah. Swan, Swan had a rough that day against those Vandy receivers, which is a weird sentence to even That's say. Yeah. Um, but I, Jonathan Krause, right after that, had the long catch. Uh, against him as well, against Damian Swan. Not the best second half of his career, I'm going to say. And I, I, Damian I don't wanna, Swan? Yeah, I don't want to say that he's the reason that they lost that game, but I thought that was such a, a crucial, crucial turning point that just turned the momentum when Vandy gets out to this lead early on, you're thinking, all right, maybe this can be the day. They have the, the fake field goal, all that. And it's like maybe Vandy just kind of has that magic today. And that place was dead near the end of the third yeah. quarter, 27-14. It was all Georgia. I mean, it was all Georgia day, fans. Gross. I mean, 17 straight for Georgia. Ugh. I mean, was was definitely going in favor of the road team until that. 17 points straight. Yeah, 17, yeah, 17 points straight that, that Georgia had up until that point when it's 27 to 14. The other moment, Mark Richt, bless him, bless him, as he would say, bless him. He runs the ball three straight times with 3.30 left in this game. He preserving the damn the ball. He did. But the problem was is that Keith Marshall and Todd Gurley were not the guys getting the ball. And, it's, Douglas. and instead, you take the ball out of Aaron Murray's hands in those spots. Vandy shuts him down. Uh, shout out Bob Shoup. Guy that we haven't yeah. brought up yet. His defense was was good on this day down the stretch. I don't know why he doesn't give uh, Aaron Murray a chance, but it's it's bad. And then, don't you know it, they try and punt right after that, and that's the high snap, fumbled punt for Georgia, and Vandy takes over at the Georgia 13. The very next play is the, is the Jerron Seymour run, where Tim Brando, the dancer, as I said, goes a little jitterbug oh my god yeah um yeah so for me i had i had something very similar obviously that fourth quarter sequence with the muff punt the personal foul that wasn't ruled targeting but remember at the time and people people forget about this this drove me crazy this drove me crazy the the way the targeting call worked in 2013 and this was a hot topic of discussion the entire season and i, I remember of course, it's a Bama reference, but like I remember sp specifically from the A&M game. Haha -ha Clinton Dix gets a targeting call, and I lost my mind. Because at the very least, he's going to be kicked out for like a half 
or like the following half, and then like I don't think at the time you missed the next game. Was it a full game? Even Mark Rick didn't even know that when they were asking about Ray Drew at halftime. They're like, is he gonna have to sit out the whole game? He's like, no, actually, I think he should be good. He just has to sit out the rest of the half or whatever. Right. So it was still unclear even for the most important people. But what the one thing about it was they started doing this play call as this over a like overzealous way to make sure there's like ensure safety of the player. So the defenseless player especially. They would throw the flag and then retroactively go back and make sure, like, all right, is it targeting? Is he ejected? But they wouldn't pick up the flag, no matter what. They never oh, overturned the flag. Oh, I remember that. That's right. So, so I remember, like, I always joke around about games I've had noise complaints and stuff like that. When HaHa Clinton Dix had this happen against a and in, in a game of that magnitude, it was like one versus six at the start of the year, I there there's never been a time in my life where I have been so irate at, at a game, at an official, at whatever. And, I, I mean, the stuff that came out of my mouth, good God. Steve it was Shaw, bad for the, everyone. Steve Shaw, the coordinator of SEC officials, um, at the time, he said, and this was Tim Brando relayed this, the policy at the time was to, when in doubt, throw the flag. Right. And how they had not figured out yet, oh, wait, what if we make a terrible call and it looks like on the replay he had barely touched him? Then we can't he pick can't up the do flag? That. What they, uh, so, Terrible. Like, I remember screaming, screaming that over and over and over again because he wasn't taken out of the game, but the 15 yards is still a pretty big chunk of the field. Yep. And, and the fact that, like, that, that football on this level, like the SEC, not just cultural, but the SEC, we hadn't realized the fact that, okay, well, if, if it's called, it's called flat out. And so the only silver lining is, oh, well, at least he's not suspended for a full half because we got, like, super super conservative and upset that maybe this was maybe in like having to make this bang bang call that it was helmet to helmet and so later in that game and again i'm i'm, I'm blanking on the on the middle linebacker's name but he puts a textbook hit on a receiver coming across the middle that would have made every oh, single yeah, nfl yeah. films highlight video ever it was mm-hmm. a beautiful hit shoulder first textbook tackle perfect form. hits the receiver perfect form Still had a 15-yard. Pl- uh, I'm sorry. Still had a 15-yard flag attached to it because it was a it was a personal foul with the targeting because they didn't overturn that. So on that sequence, you have the muff punt, personal foul, fourth and one conversion, and and that's kind of what brings them back in the game. And then outside of that, it was just kind of like you know it, it's. I, I said a couple weeks ago, it's like it's always something like some of these some of these huge upsets. So you can kind of see the writing on the wall early. It's just always something. It's just always something crazy. That was that day for Georgia. That was that day for Georgia. Just everything went wrong, and it's like, man, like you're having to overcome injuries, you're having to overcome the refs, and I'm not trying to discount what Vanderbilt did on the on the football field that day because Georgia had a 13 point lead. Shockingly, a Georgia team blew the lead. I, I say that as a as painful as it is as a huge Falcons fan, but like you have you have that lead that late, and it's like, oh man, the fumble punt. <laughs> bad, bad. Georgia special teams did not have its finest no. day. That it did not. It's a good thing they have a new special teams coach this year in 2020. <laughs> and he actually, you know, I just I just checked. I got an update from Google. He had yet another former player get drafted. So good for him, Scott Cochran, and all the nice. wonderful things he's done while in Athens. What would have happened afterwards if the result was flipped? For Georgia, I don't think very much, to be 100% honest. I think yeah. this wasn't... A make or break game for Mark Rick's future. I don't think it helped his future. Obviously, oh my um, god. Maybe Todd Grantham has a better chance of keeping his job. Maybe I don't know. Probably not. Yeah. It was still a rough year. They struggled all year. They struggled with injuries and youth, and it just was not a good year for the Georgia defense. 
Um, and probably doesn't change anything for Aaron Murray's legacy or anything like that because that team lost several games outside of right. that. Vandy's still work, beat Florida. Yeah, still beat Florida that year as well. Vandy's work gets a little bit more interesting. James Franklin got the Penn State job after this season, as we know. Remember, though, that he was not Penn State's first choice. They had interviewed Mike Munchak, uh, Al Golden. There's uh, reports that whether or not he'd interviewed with the job, he said, she said, believe who you want. They were interested. Al Golden. Yeah, good old Miami coach who was at Temple before that, but they were trying to poach him from Miami. What a slap yeah. in the face to Miami that would have been. Whew. Um Greg Roman, another guy. All, so all these guys are, are, are candidates. And Franklin right. is not like the the premier number one target slam dunk guy, even though he's from the state of Pennsylvania, as I brought up earlier. Without this win, Vandy doesn't finish ranked that year. They just don't. There's, uh. there's no way. It wouldn't have happened. Without this win, Vandy does not hit nine wins again like they did the previous season. Without this win... James Franklin has zero wins against ranked teams at Vandy. As great of a job as he did in those three years, they still don't have that, ooh, that signature win, that, hey, you changed how people thought of you type of win. Right. The optics of not winning a game like that, where if you're trying to look at a coach and trying to figure out who the coach on the rise is, where maybe it's a small step back, it's a small step back, but it looked like essentially he had the same exact year in 2012 that he did in 2013. The optics improved a lot from this game. A lot. Significantly. Yeah. Does Franklin get offered the job in the same sense for Penn State? I don't know. I don't That's know. That's a really good point. It's weird timing, too. He's not getting as Bill much Ab- money. He's definitely not getting as much money. Six years, $25 million. Bill O'Brien left Penn State for the Houston Texans job late in, in that, you know, in terms of yeah. the coaching cycle and all that stuff as well. Tried to trade away all their good players before he left. <laughs> Wait, he's still there. He's still there. Well, yeah. Brian's definitely still there. Um, I, I think, though, that that's at least worth bringing up because Franklin repeatedly said, like, look, I was not in any hurry to leave Vandy. And yeah. some people disputed that because of what was going on with the whole gang rape case and that investigation. And they said he just wanted to get out of Dodge. Whatever. I can't help but wonder, though, if he if this had just been, you know, typical, like, 40 to 3, something like that, that type of a loss. Yeah. Is, does it look like Vandy is on the up and up and James Franklin is this rising coach where, man, he led Vandy to rank seasons in consecutive years? What? I, I will say there's there's interesting things to look at in terms of I – think, I think he always said that Penn State was like where he wanted to go because he's from up in that area and, and all that kind of stuff, right? Like in that, like it's like his dream job. I mean, it is considered his dream job, right. except for when you know USC is apparently interested, and then he's like, oh, you know, we'll see kind of what happens. And then he, yeah. you know, there's a little thing where he flirts, and then he reminds everybody after he signs the extension, look, I'm from Pennsylvania. Why would I ever want to leave? Well, you just right. throw that out there because you want to get more money and you know how to play this game. Continue. Very, very similar to when Dennis Francione went to A and M was like, this is my dream job. It was like you said that two years ago at 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 the other place, and you said it like six years ago at TCU, and all this. It's like, it's like, come on. So here's what I thought was interesting was, I don't I don't know what changes with Mark Ricks because there's just so many other losses that they didn't think they were going to lose that had, I don't think that has any change on it. Agreed. The Aaron Murray thing, I think this game does so much less. It's just like a wash for his legacy than if if the Auburn game would have stayed the way it stayed with the way he led that comeback against Auburn that later became the prayer at Jordan-Hare, not only does that change his legacy, I think, a little bit more for the better, and you have 9-3 and three is better than 8-4 and four going out as a senior, or 8-5 and five is what they ended up, but also the fact that you have this last 
really big comeback against a ranked team on the road, and you have this other like heroic moment and kind of leave like in a positive way. Um, that not only affects his legacy, but it affects the whole landscape of college football, as I've said several several times. Uh, if that game ends in different fashion, what I think the biggest thing here is if he doesn't leave, like if he doesn't win this game for for James Franklin, you guys like me and you, and knowing you now, especially how you view Franklin, it I, you can't say it. Like I don't know if you'd have the same opinion of him if he left, but you know damn well that if you're talking about James Franklin, then one of the things that has to be brought up is, well, he's never beaten a ranked team while at Vandy. Yep. That that part is, I think, the biggest the biggest reason. Because it's like you can say all you want about going to bowl games, blah, blah, blah. You, you're, you're trying to find the best of both sides. And one thing that definitely would have been a knock on him is the fact that what I just said, there's there's no there's, – you had no wins against a ranked team. So how are you going to get a job at Penn State and go there? Where I think it's interesting is if he stays an extra year, here are some of the coaching changes that happened after the 2014 season Ooh. in Vanderbilt, okay? Florida, because Muschamp was out. Yep. Um, Nebraska, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pitt, Kansas, go Beavs, Oregon State. Um, remember, Mike Riley left to go to, to Nebraska. Where I think this is different is, I know he says – State College is where he wanted to go. And all kinds he's of not stuff. leaving for Oregon State. Let's, well, you can he's not leaving for Oregon State. I was not going to say that. Yeah. But when you look at teams like Michigan, Nebraska, and Wisconsin. And Wisconsin. Especially look at Wisconsin. Because he was exactly. an assistant there. He was assistant for the Packers as well. Spent time up in the state of Wisconsin. Likes the exactly. state of Wisconsin a lot. Yep. How proud are you right now that I knew that? I like that. I like okay. that. That's very and good. Also, and I've said this repeatedly. I said it on the last rant I went on about the Big Ten. I, I never understood why Brett Bielema left Wisconsin. Never, never once understood it. Because Wisconsin's in the West of the Big Ten. The West. You have the chance to run the table in that division way more than you do in the East of the Big Ten. Um, at, at the time, though, they're still, they, were still, uh, they were still in Legends and Leaders because they hadn't expanded yet to uh, the Maryland thing. And, they, and yeah. it was about the reason that Bielema had left was because of the, the salary pool for assistance and all that right. as well. Yeah, he would have wanted, I think he would have lasted at Wisconsin still. Yeah, it was, and it was Gary Anderson who had left after the 2014 yeah. season, as you recall, and right. went very, very surprisingly in a different direction to Oregon State, ironically mm-hmm. enough. The coaching carousel would have spun maybe a little bit differently. Maybe yeah. a little bit Mitch differently. Brady Hoke was out. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, go on. Oh, Brady Hoke. The, play, the player image that we'll always remember when thinking of this game uh, for me, it's it's Franklin doing the, the jump kick celebration after the fake a, field goal. He's a big jump kicker. Huge, huge. When he gets fired up on the sideline, oh, man. There was one time where he, like, punched my guy, Joe Mo. I mean, him, gave him a and, full-on punch to Moorhead. It, oh, I didn't even – why didn't you mention Moorhead was in this game? I didn't know that. Moorhead wasn't in this game. No, no, no. Moorhead oh, was okay, not in this okay, game. Okay. No, no, no. No, I'm saying at Penn yeah. State. He did that later on. So, okay, here's the thing, too. I would lo- there's a few things that came I take away from this game that just from looking at James Franklin's intensity. I would like to see, especially if we don't have a college football season, which we we all know that I think we're going to have a college football season. That being said, here's a couple of games and competitions that I would like to see just in case we don't. A jump kick off, a jump kick off between Kirby Smart and James Franklin. Both. I'm telling two, you, they're similar. Yeah, or. You know, I think that I think that that kind of athleticism that they have transitions the ice, and I would like to see them do like a pair figure skating thing. Let's Little do Blades it. Blades of Glory with those two, yeah, I'm in. Or Don't just have them line up. 
opposite sidelines. One of them can make a call that's going to ruin yeah. a game, and then the other person gets to do the jump kick, and they trade turns doing that. Or so that's I thought when you said opposite sidelines run at each other like a like a joust competition, but with the yep. kicks. Okay, I, I like think that. that would be even better, and also result in injuries that aren't emotional. So like the bad play calling. <laughs> um, the other thing is I would like to see. Like, remember that, what was that show that used to be on MTV where they'd, like, see how long you could last without losing your mind? It's, like, basically, it's like, all right, we're going to put a timer on. We're going to see how long it takes for you to not be an a-hole. Real world. No. <laughs> the way you said that. Real world. Uh, anyway, so the, <laughs> that was good. So the thing where, the thing where, like, anyway, I forgot the name of it. Somebody let me know on social media. Road rules. Talking about. <laughs> Perfect. You've nailed it. And you're not making me further away from what I was trying to say in the first place. So the, um... No, but like basically put a timer on the clock, put James Franklin on one phone, and then put Todd Grantham on the other phone, and have them both be on the line with Comcast customer service, and let's see who lasts the longest without dropping a GD. That's, That's what it. I would like to see. Yeah. Now I don't know if Franklin's a big GD guy. I don't know. I think he tries to stay away from. You that. haven't lived, brother. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Just it's it's always terrible. My mom hates it when I do it. So here's the thing: player image will always remember from thinking of this. The the kick the kick thing was pretty cool. I agree, yeah. but I, and I remember watching this, um, and I remember I remember like this was like the one thing I remember I think from the game before we went back to rewatch it, and that was that after the game it was so weird the way the game ended because Chris Conley gets hurt, yeah, he's on bizarre. the field like like rolling in pain, grabbing his knee. Um, you have Vanderbilt players running all over the field. I don't know if fans did or not, but like you have Vanderbilt players running all over the field. And Franklin takes off because he, I mean, Franklin is, he's as close to me as you're going to get, I think, as the coach. Not making great decisions all the time or consistently, running around, getting way too excited, way too often, not Lots keeping of deodorant. his composure. Lots of deodorant, okay? So he's running down the sideline as the game ends, and you can tell he's going to, like, congratulate someone. Yeah. And Mark Richt <laughs> comes on the field, like, almost in this, I've lost. I've lost my balloon. I, I had a balloon with me, and I'm trying to find it. I don't know where it's at. And balloons just, suck. You don't need balloons, Mark. True, but he's just walking around trying to find Franklin. And there's like fan. He's like he's like congratulating random Vandy players, but you can tell he can't get off Franklin. You can tell he wants to get off the damn field immediately. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, <sighs> it's like me at the grocery store when I was four. Just like where is my mom? <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> so there you go. This game was fun to look back on. Now, yeah. nobody can say, hey, you haven't done this game on my team. We have hit them all, and yeah. we're, we're going to hit so many, so many more of these. And I've thought of a lot of different ones that we can do. And I don't know what we're going to circle back to next week, but maybe just the thought we should probably stay away from 2013 or 2012. Yeah, we've done, I'm over we've that done a lot. Done a lot yeah. in that zone, but just fascinating time in the SEC for sure, and Vandy, good old Vandy, was a part of that. Anchor so, down, brother. Anchor down. Oh, that stupid oh, that noise. The sound. The sound effect. It sounds what's almost. The, what's it sounds, the sound effect? After they the after they score, that still um, is like oh, not a fan. It sounds too much like the Vikings thing. The, I don't like the horn in the in the Georgia Dome when it's not for the United. I don't get that at all. Because uh, of the railroad. <laughs> like what? Like I've lived here my whole life. Like. Are we just, I well, I'm, I know it has some meaning, but it's like a meaning that we never had until like three years ago as the city of Atlanta. And I don't get it. It's just, you, you remember from the, the SEC championship game they kept doing it? And I was like, what the hell is this? Neither one of these teams is from Atlanta. It was unnecessary. I peed my pants a little. 
Yikes. Which I'm about to do now, so we gotta get off here. Nice. Alright, Todd Grant, what do we need to remember? I tell you what, brother, it just means more! <laughs>